Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am excited that you're joining me today for another great interview and conversation to help you up your game and improve your capabilities and success in the world of talent development. That is what we are all about, and I've got a great one for you today, all about becoming a learning leader my guest today is Damon Limby, who is the CEO of Learn It, a global leader in corporate training solutions that has upskilled more than 1.8 million professionals in the past 27 years. He is also the author of the new book, The Learn It All Leader, about mindset, traits, and tools. And Damon lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with his wife, two kids, and a puggle named Pablo. That's Damon, right. welcome to the show. Andy, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited to have you. We were just talking before we started recording. I've been reading through your book and so much of it resonates with me from the growing up and playing baseball to all the concepts about what it takes to be a great leader today and the importance of humility and curiosity and learning. And we're going to get into all of that. As much as I want to talk about Pablo the Puggle, <laughs> I do want to get into more concepts from your book, but I want to start with some of your background because this all starts and your book starts with stories from you coming up playing baseball and not just little league baseball like me, but you actually played big time college baseball and were drafted into the major leagues. So how does that like set the basis for what we're talking about with this book and the work you do today? Well, thank you, Andy. It sets a lot to do with it. So I basically grew up playing baseball uh, through all sports through high school. And I was fortunate my senior year to be drafted by the Atlanta Braves in the 13th round. And i that's when I first had my first really difficult decision. Should I take the journey and go play minor league baseball or move on to college? And my parents were great. They gave me the opportunity to make whatever decision I wanted. And I went with, uh, I went with college and I chose uh, Pepperdine really because of the vision and that our coach at the time, Andy Lopez had, and, you know, Pepperdine is a small regional school, but his vision was we're going to win the College World Series. We're going to win the College World Series. And my first year there, I struggled early on in the year. I got hurt and I ended up leaving after after the first year. I went and played for another amazing coach, John Nochi, uh, College of San Mateo, and then moved over, transferred to Arizona State, where I had a great career but unfortunately, I, I didn't get drafted again. And so, um, and that's where my sports career ended. Learn it started. But I would have to attribute the vast majority of my leadership skills and and really my what I've learned about how to be successful in, through my um, playing sports. You know, sports teaches you a lot about discipline. And I'm not even saying you don't have to play all the way through college or at the level I did, but you know, I think sports in general helps you learn how to be disciplined, teamwork, and really also, of course, resilience, because there's a lot of ups and downs and failures in sports. Yeah. You also played for a couple of legendary coaches, like multiple very successful three. coaches who, who had three coaches who had taken teams to College World Series. Like what, you know, what leadership lessons did you learn when you think back and you're writing a book like this from some of those coaches? You know, it's amazing. Uh, as we were talking about beforehand, I just reconnected with Andy Lopez in person for the first time in 30 years. We spoke, we've spoken over the phone. And even now I, I, I love to listen and learn from him. 
And Coach Lopez had two rules, be on time and do the right thing. Those were his rules. And I kind of carry that along. And I, I talk about that in my book. But I also, I've learned a lot from just the way the other coaches that I had, uh, Jim Brock and, and Coach Nochi. I've also had some not so good coaches along the way. Doesn't really matter who they were, but they also they also teach you how not to uh, to manage a team. You know whether it's taking credit when you don't deserve it or or placing blame. So I've had I've had a wide spectrum and unique opportunity to play for some great coaches, and I really try to emulate some of their strengths because you know I'm a believer you shouldn't reinvent the wheel. So I just kind of took what I learned and try to emulate a, a lot of what I've learned from them. How did you go from that and eventually get into this space? Because I think you even said in your book, if someone told you, you know, back in high school that you would one day be the CEO of a successful learning company, you, you would have thought they were crazy. So how did you end up getting into learning in general? So in general, basically what happened was all the way through college, I never had a job. I always played, you know, in the summers I played in Cape Cod and I traveled all around the world playing. Then all of a sudden when my sports career ended, I was really fortunate. I came from a family, my father, Walt Lemby, and then my grandfather, we were one of the largest residential real estate companies in California, in San Francisco. And I was fortunate enough to have a different opportunities, work opportunities to either go work for our hotels or the real estate company, or even the savings alone. But Andy, I, I was, to be honest, I was you know pretty scared. I've never worked before. And my dad, who was a great entrepreneur, he passed away in 2010, he came up with a lot of ideas. And one of them was Learn It. And Learn It at the time was just kicking off in June of 95. And the idea behind it was he went and took a class uh, somewhere, one of the large franchises, because he was trying to find a way to manage his real estate portfolio, not on paper anymore. And if you go all the way back to 95, it wasn't as digitized as it is today, computerized, right. I guess you say. And he took a class, it was full day. He thought it was sterile and boring. And he's like, there's got to be a better way to do this. So like a lot of great entrepreneurs, he's like, called up a guy who used to be the CFO. And he's like, I want to build short, quick, fun classes that are relatively inexpensive that will really be engaging. And I was just fortunate enough to be finishing up uh, Arizona State, and I went and worked at Learn It as a receptionist and spent a couple of years answering phones and moved up to doing sales and helping out with IT and even teaching some of our basic Excel classes at the time. And about five years, five or six years into it, the gentleman who was running Learn It wasn't working out, and my father was looking to replace him. And I said, hey, give me a shot. You know, I've taught classes. I've answered more phones to this day than anybody. And he's like, you got it, kid. Let's, you know, let's do it. And so I moved into that role there. And that's really how I got into the learning world. And yeah, like like you mentioned, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be in it. But here I am 28 years later, and I, and I still really enjoy it. Yeah, it's still going strong. And, you know, you mentioned, or I mentioned in the introduction, that Learned has upskilled more than 1.8 million professionals, which is absolutely huge. And I think of this as a very large, fragmented space of so many different types of providers in learning and development, talent development, training, upskilling, whatever you call it. What would you attribute? You know, I'm sure there's lots of factors, but what are the main things you attribute to the success of Learned that you've been able to grow it, whether it was your father or previous management or you that's allowed the company to, to 
hire and retain the best people and, and truly grow and, and work with so many different companies? Great question. And, and part of the reason $1.8 is if you look at our YouTube channel, we have, I think, five 600000 right there. Mm. But what's really gotten learned to where we are today without question is the level of talent that people that we've able, been able to attract, retain, and hire. We've been really fortunate uh, over the years to bring in great talent and cultivate great talent and and retain great talent. And that's really what's driven Learn It uh, over, over the years. Absolutely. And how do you, so how do you find this great? I mean, everyone says like, oh, we, we need to find great talent, but it doesn't always work out for other companies. You have found and and retained great talent. Like you said, what, what have been some keys to that? So, I mean, I, I don't have any secret sauces, but if, if I did, it was to be able to spot great talent and get them to come to learn it and, and put them in, right, in the positions to succeed. I think one key, and it's kind of hard to, if you're just starting out, is most of the hires we bring in, Andy, are through internal referrals. Mm. And it's either through individuals who are currently on our team or maybe the learned alumni. We have a large hundreds and hundreds of employees over the years. And, you know, they kind of know what the, the the culture is at Learnit. And so they have a pretty good idea of who would be a good fit to, to join the, the Learnit team. And how we've been able to retain is, you know, we, we invest, uh, you know, we're a learning and development company. And so we, we invest a, a lot of you know, time and money on our own team to continue to, to develop and train our team. It, it takes a lot of work, but it's also, uh, it's it's been very rewarding. And, and I think that that's really what's helped drive our success over the years. I also got a sense, and I want to get into the content from the book. I got a sense from reading your book that your leadership style is one that is about empowering and enabling people to succeed, like finding the right people and then putting them in a position and actually challenging and trusting them, which is, I believe, what great leaders do. It's a struggle. There's so many managers out there that have a hard time really trusting their people. And that's how they end up becoming micromanagers, right? And that they don't truly empower them to, to grow and take on bigger and bigger things. And that's when people get frustrated and leave. So I imagine you've You've taken an approach to try to empower and, and enable more people to succeed. A hundred percent. Now it, you know, that takes practice as well. I, I can't mm. say that there haven't been times where you know you want to jump in and, and micromanage. Yeah. At the at the end of the day, really, what my philosophy on that is, you want to find great people, and, and you know, we we look for the, the key traits we really look for are people who have humility, curiosity. You know, obviously, have integrity is super important and resilience. And once you have those types of people, then point them in a position to be successful and then give them clear direction or give their leaders clear direction and then stand back and let them let them have at it. You know, and then if they make mistakes, hey, don't worry about it. You know, let's learn from those mistakes and move forward. But it's the only way to really scale or I think to really build teams where people feel like that they actually can make a difference is if you do give them the autonomy to go for go for the work and do it themselves. Yeah, that's how people truly grow. Well, I think that's a, a nice transition into talking about this book, uh, which again is called The Learn It All Leader Mindset, Traits, and Tools. Why did you write this book? What, what was the inspiration for it? And, and what do you want people to do with it? Oh, thank you. So really, uh, over the years, people have said, hey, you, you have some great stories that learn it and you're, you're a really good storyteller with a diverse, you know, everything from sports. And I even have some rock and roll stories in there. Really what inspired me to write it, one was I've got two young ones. I got Lucy, who's uh, my daughter, who's five, and my son, 
uh, Walter Wally, who's one and a half, and they never got an opportunity to uh, meet their grandfather, Walt, who is my uh, best friend and, and really mentor. So I really wanted them to be able to have something where they could learn about their grandfather and, and how he really helped. Not, and not only my dad, my mom played a tremendous role too, but learn there. And also, you know what, honestly, I just kind of like giving back and taking what I've learned and the successes and mostly the failures and be able to share that with others, others who are maybe coming up and want to get into leadership and are unsure of their talent, or they just need somebody or some a book or whatever it is, uh, training to, to help get them there. So that's pretty much what inspired me to, and my wife pushed me out, which I'm glad she did now. I'm glad she did. I'm glad Kara did. So it was, uh, that's really what inspired me. Yeah. Well, sometimes we need that help. We need that push from somebody, whether it's a wife. I have a good friend who published multiple books now, and he actually has started a whole business around supporting other people with their books, but it all got started because he kept talking about book ideas and his wife one day said, just stop talking about this unless you're actually going to do it. That's great. And now he's got a whole business built around it. So, and he always credits her with that. So the, the book is about the learn-it-all leader. What does that mean and how does that compare to a know-it-all leader? So really what I think the difference is, you know, starting off with know-it-all. Now, let, let's look at it this way. I mean, we've all had our know-it-all moments where we've thought we we're sure of ourselves and, and weren't open to change. What I refer to as learn-it-all is, again, somebody who has humility and is really curious and op open to learning. What I talk about in my book a lot is, I don't think you don't need an Ivy League education. Sure, I think that that's fantastic. You have one. I think I know a lot of a lot of my friends do, and they're super successful. But I think that you know to be a leader, you can evolve into a leader, and you're never and you're never really finished. You know, it's just a, a journey that keeps keeps on going. And so the difference I think between a learn it all and a know it all is somebody who has a beginner's mind and is open to continuing to evolve where you know where you've sat around and maybe you have somebody who's super successful and and they're trying to give you advice and a team of people advice and one person at the table is like no this is how we do it no this is how we do it mm. you know and you're just you're just losing a great opportunity to learn from others and and that's pretty much what i compare what i say about uh, learn it all is they're they're open and they're and they're curious and always trying to find things and ways to do things better or different yeah i always think you know, when I think about leadership, my own experience, you know, working in the corporate world for many, many years, uh, working with many leaders, being a leader myself, is that I think leadership is about enabling and empowering others. Mm -hmm. And that there really is such an importance to humility and curiosity to be the great leader that is able to do those things because you can hire and, and surround yourself with the best people and then actually empower them to succeed, which we talked about earlier. I think one of the biggest challenges I've noticed, especially as I've been running leadership development workshops for many years in different companies, I notice a lot of people get into a leadership position and they feel pressure to have all the answers. They feel like they need to be the smartest person in the room, not even like for their own ego, but they just feel like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. And that kind of tends more towards trying to become the know-it-all leader. How do you help people understand that it's it's okay not to have the answers that really that's what the rest of your team is there for. I mean Andy you're 100% right on track right there. You know, first and foremost nobody has all the answers. And right. again, getting back to the learn it all leader, you know, humility and, and vulnerability, it's okay to say you don't know. And mm -hmm. what's even more important is I've always believed 
in hiring people that are smarter than me and better. You know, surround yourself with top talent and 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 you can learn from them. And I, I just think that you know, if you're a leader, if you're in a leadership position, and and maybe you're unsure of uh, what your capabilities are, you know, it's just you know being vulnerable and not being afraid to ask, ask for advice reach outside of your organization even and and find mentors and coaches that, that could help you know help help you make it through so there's a, there's a lot of different ways to do it but it, I think it all starts with not being afraid to say hey you know what I don't have an answer to this let me figure it out and I can get back to you I think that if you're a leader and I have a lot of people that I a coach or mentor and and they tell me that they have managers who are obviously are know-it-alls and they, and but you can see right right you can see right through that I I think it's just much better to be authentic and transparent right and and people don't like doesn't show weakness yeah and people don't like working for the know-it-all leaders when I used to run leadership development workshops more often I would uh, ask people think about the the leaders who really multiplied you and helped you succeed more and then the, the leaders that really diminished you and that you hated working for and ask people to name some of the qualities. And the number one most common thing that people brought up about the manager they didn't like working for was micromanagement, right? It was the people that are, you know, either they they knew the right way to do it. Like you said, we, we, we've done it this way before, or we can't do it this way. You need to do it exactly my way. They don't really trust their people. It becomes mm-hmm. agonizing and frustrating. And that's why people end up, you know, throwing their hands up and leaving because they're like, I'm not growing here. I'm just like under pressure all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also, I, I've, I've experienced that. I've seen that. Also, I think some pretty poor managers or leaders are the ones who make the uh, cardinal sin and take credit mm-hmm. for what their team members have been able to uh, accomplish. I, I just think that that's ridiculous. As far as I'm concerned, I don't want any of the credit. You know, I, right. I, I want, I want, even if it happened to be my idea, I want my team members to be the ones that get credit for that work because it only inspires them to want to do more, you yeah. know? And so, you know, I, I think that putting yourself in the spotlight for that at the end of the day, I mean, I, I think it you, you can motivate your team to get them to do better by giving them the opportunity and, and the credit for the work. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, they're likely going to give you the credit later when they're talking to other people for supporting them and enabling them to do that stuff, right? For being that supportive leader. I mean, in my experience, a lot of times, a lot of the people that we hire are relatively new to the workforce, but but they've got the right attitude and mindset. And then we kind of coach them and mold them into where uh, we want them to go. And, And at some point, you know, they, some people I haven't learned it have been with me for 15 years, but I've had a lot of amazing talent who's come through and they've been with us for three years and then they've moved on and they look back and they, when I run into them, they say, Hey, you really gave me the opportunity to grow and evolve. And a lot of people wouldn't have given us those opportunities. So I, th- mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Oh, heck yeah. People, and people, people appreciate it. They remember it forever. I talk about yeah, that a lot totally. with people yeah. when it comes to leadership that, you know, a lot of times we're talking about the know-it-all leaders or leaders that are trying to take the credit, or maybe they don't want to develop their people too much because they're afraid that they're going to move on to other things or even like, you know, possibly take their job. But what people don't realize is that when you develop your people and allow them to grow well beyond what they're doing now, they remember you forever. And that's Absolutely. legacy, right? Totally. Absolutely. And and like you mentioned earlier. You know, if, if you're one of those leaders who have to jump in and do the work for your team, 
you know, you're just going to lose them. I mean, they're just going to sit back and say, well, we know Damon's right. going to come in and, and, and do this. So I'm not, I'm not even going to attempt. And yep. you're not, you're not helping them evolve and grow. And eventually, and especially in a strong, a stronger job market than we're in today, they're going to find new, new work and people, especially the younger generations, they want people, they want an opportunity to learn and grow, to carry on their career. Yep, absolutely. By the way, just to prove my point about legacy, which I think about is, you know, how you are remembered. Mm-hmm. When we started this interview, we talked about some of your baseball career and we talked about coaches as leaders. You named three coaches that you played for who helped you succeed in your career. You named them in your book. Mm-hmm. You talk about them quite often, I assume. And so they are remembered forever. You also said you've worked for, you've, you played for some bad coaches and that you weren't going to name them and so now you, they are essentially forgotten to history, right? You're not naming them because you don't want to give them any credit. No, I, I as I mentioned in my book, I'm incredibly fortunate to pay, play for Andy Lopez, Jim Brock, John Nochi, and some other great coaches like my hitting coach, John Pearson at Arizona State and my high school coach, John DeVos. But, you know, Andy Lopez, Brock and Nochi were are legends, but they're the the bad coaches. I've learned as much from them and probably more on what not to do. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that, but no, I mean, they're, yeah, it is what it is. One of the things you cover in your book is something that I have struggled with and many people struggle with, especially when they get into leadership positions and they don't think they're maybe qualified, like, oh, I got promoted to this. I don't know if I can actually handle this, which many people refer to as imposter syndrome, right? This idea that I'm not really qualified to be in the position that I'm in. And a lot of people feel like, oh, what if they find out that I'm not qualified and we let go? How do you help people deal with imposter syndrome? Remember you had some great tips in your book that, you know, that could be helpful to those that are dealing with that. Sure. So I experienced imposter syndrome when I, when I got to Pepperdine, I left, I left high school. I was a high school preseason All-American. I got to Pepperdine. Everybody's super talented. And I kind of wondered to myself, you know, do I, do I belong here? Am I I good? Am I, can I compete at this level? And I struggled and I, and I struggled and I left, like I mentioned earlier, and it took me until I eventually ended up at Arizona state. And when I got to Arizona state, a lot of people said before I took the scholarship to Arizona state, they said, you know what, Damon, if you go to Arizona state, there's going to be 17 other guys trying out for first base. Why don't you go to a D two school or a local school? And Andy, what I said to myself is, you know what, screw it. This is my last opportunity. I'm going to go in and I'm going to, I'm going to give it my best shot. And what a tremendous learning experience that was for me. And so how I've always dealt with imposter syndrome and recommend it to others is really three steps. One is hard work. I'm not saying that you need to work, you know, 14 hours a day, seven days a week, but you need to put in the effort. In sports, it's repetition. And if you're if you're in sales and, and you need to prospect, it's making calls. And you know, if you want to get better at doing podcasts, you gotta be on a lot of podcasts. You know, you got you got to put in the effort. Number two for me is really focus. You know, if you have a possible, sometimes it's easy to stray away from what 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 your fear is or what's going on and you just gotta attack it you know focus on on what you're trying to work through and three is is learning use it all as a learning opportunity learn learn from your mistakes and ask questions but also don't take yourself too seriously if if things fall apart i mean at the end of the day i I call it purposely awfulizing like what's the worst case scenario what's the Mm. worst thing that could happen you know if i if if i go on a um 
you know, uh, if I get taken this new job and, and things don't work out, then, you know, maybe I get demoted or I lose my job. I'll get another job, you know, and mm-hmm. it's with sports. If I go play at Arizona state and, and unfortunately it doesn't work out, then life goes on. So that's really my approach to um, how I recommend dealing with imposter syndrome. And I think when you do, I agree with that. And I think when you go to the worst case, you have to ask yourself like, what's realistically the worst case, right? Because a lot of times people go in their minds, well, you know, people are going to find out I'm not good at this. I'm going to be fired. And somehow I'm going to be out on the street, you know, homeless because I couldn't do this one job. And it's like, well, actually right. you probably, you have great skills that got you to this point. You probably could get another job, mm-hmm. right? You'll, you'll find other opportunities and, and maybe even you need, maybe you need a failure in order to get you to the next things. And we've all had those. The other thing that I often recommend for people that has worked for me too, when it comes to overcoming imposter syndrome is listen to the other people who are propping you up, who are complimenting you, who are telling you you're good at things. You know, if you were offered a job doing something or a scholarship playing D1 baseball, there's a reason for that, right? They see potential in you. They think that you're going to be really good at it. So even if you don't believe in yourself, other people believe in you. Obviously, like you talk about in your book, it's important to believe in yourself as well. But sometimes you need to borrow other people's belief and confidence, I think, to boost up your own. I, I mean, you just you just teed it up for me right there, really. I talked about this in my book, Pepperdine, when I went in for my first like one-on-one with uh, Coach Andy Lopez halfway through the fall season, he sat me down and he said, uh, Damon, I think we made a big mistake. When, when, when we recruited you, I thought you would be a power-hitting third baseman and a potential major league potential. And unfortunately, that's not the case. And so, you know, I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, how do I, how do I get the next plane flight home to get yeah, out of here? Let me get out of here. Let me get out of here. I, I mean, I literally, I couldn't believe it. I was in shock. And, and he literally sat there for five seconds. And then he said, you know what? That's what you think of yourself. And, and that's why you're struggling right now. He said, you have great potential. You can be a um, division one star, but it all needs to start with you. You need to believe in yourself and your own talent, because if you don't, then nobody else is going to be able to. And, and you know, so it, it all comes down to, I guess, the the right mentality and having the self-belief and self-confidence that you're you know, that you're capable or that not even that you're capable, that you've earned where you're at, you know, that you've earned where you're at and and deserve to be there. Sometimes we get these opportunities and we don't think maybe I'm not qualified, but other people believe in us. You know, I, th- I strongly believe with a growth mindset, we got to give these things a shot. We were talking about that a little bit before we started recording. You had a, a model, I guess, in the book that you mentioned, Sir Richard Branson's screw it, let's do it decision-making approach. And when is that appropriate? Well, there, there are times that's appropriate and there's times that that's not appropriate. I mean, it, it's appropriate if it's a situation that you make a decision and, and it's something you can recover from, you know? So when it's not appropriate is if you're, if you're putting your, your business on the line or your career on the line. So screw it, let's do it. It's if, yeah, if the risk is something that, you know, if, if you, let's say an opportunity comes to you and the client wants, you know, something that's maybe a little outside of what you are capable of doing, you, you you believe that you're able to, you know, um, meet or exceed their expectations, then you can say, like I just said right there, screw it, let's do it. We can move forward with this. Yep. But if you're if you're looking at acquiring a business or taking on new real estate for your, you know, your business, whatever, whatever it is, and you know that it's going to be something that have a huge burden on you, then that's probably not not the opportunity. You need to really be a lot more thoughtful in your decision making. 
Right. Yeah. Jeff Bezos from Amazon, you know, founder of Amazon famously talks about having two types of decisions, right? The yeah. type one and type two. The type one is you walk through the door, you can go back. You need to make those decisions more quickly. And if it's one where you really can't ever go back, then that's when you take your time. But the problem is, he says, most businesses treat a lot of type one decisions as if they're type two and and spend way too much time on them. Yes. And Jeff, you're, you're correct. And Jeff Bezos also says that if you have 70% of the facts, then you should be ready to make the decision. You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. I've seen this where let's say you're looking to hire a new COO and 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 you have 70% or, you know, you know quite a bit that you got the right fit, but if you keep going, you know, more interviews, more references, more background checks, more, excuse me, not more background checks, but more assessments, then you might miss out on that. That, that woman might take the job someplace else. So- Yes, right. Bezos is right around the walking through the or not, but you know you also can't have decision paralysis where you're just afraid to pull the trigger. Right, you got to just do stuff, right? Which he's yeah. he's done a lot of, right? Built a huge, huge, huge company. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about building a culture of learning and development. Something I know we are big on. Many of our listeners work in talent development, learning and development are big on this idea of learning and development. Some struggle to get the leadership on board in their companies with this idea of investing in learning and development, even when things may be not going that well. Could you talk about how implementing a culture of continuous learning and professional development helps attract and retain people and and leads to more business success? Yeah. Well, I would say even in the economy, even in a downturn, in a recession where companies are doing layoffs, I think it's it's critical to do uh, to, to invest in your team to continue to upskill them. For one, just be you know if you go through and you lay off ten percent of your workforce, it doesn't mean that those jobs go away, those those tasks go away. So you need to take the team that you have and be able to reskill them and help develop develop them to be able to continue to you know evolve your business. And number two with that is motivating your team. You know these people you, you still have your team. You got to feel like they want to feel like they're being invested in and for growth. So I think in that situation, investing in professional development is important. In general, a lot of the customers that we have and, and I'm sure Andy you see as well, a lot of times people come back with you know their company culture assessment or whatever internal, you know, anonymous survey they do that the individuals or the team members, they want more training and personal development opportunities. And so spending, investing in training in your team and learning and coaching and whatever it is you're going to do, it pays dividends because turnover and attrition is expensive. You know, you, you, if you lose good talent, there's no guarantee that you you bring somebody else in, they look good on, on paper. They may not even be a culture fit. So I've always believed that if, if, some, if a company is dealing with attrition, a lot of it is the root problem is you're just not investing or investing the right way with, with your em- employees, especially starting right off at onboarding. I think it's critical to get going at the onboarding phase mm. as you bring people in. Yeah, it starts from the moment you make that offer, right? Even before that, and creating that employee experience, that life cycle that people go through all the way to potentially the end. It's so important. And and you mentioned like that being the thing that people want. I think there was a McKinsey study last year that I've cited in the past that that shows that the number one reason people are leaving companies now is uh, lack of perceived career growth, right? They don't feel like they can grow in that company, whether that's learning or it's actually like some type of promotion or moving into different roles. 
And so, and I've heard time and time again, talking with colleagues in talent development, when they do engagement surveys, the number one thing people will say they want is more career development, more career growth, more learning and development, even if they don't think they necessarily have time, that's the thing they want. And so if you're not giving it to them, then, you know, you're going to be facing, you know, potential consequences from that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, yes, not, not enough potential for growth. And as we've all heard, you know, they also leave because of poor managers. Sure. And, that's typi- and that's typically because the managers aren't going to allow them to carve out time to learn, right? Mm-hmm. And we we like to call it learning time, you know, give people, you know, you have PTO time, but you also have, you know, learning time where they can carve out specific hours during their week to to be able to, um, you know, we do mostly at Learn It virtual instructor-led training, but I also like to provide resources through even some of our competitors or on-demand, but allowing your employees the space and time to dedicate to to learning and their personal and professional growth is, I think, key. Yeah. We've got to wrap this interview up, Damon. Is there anything from the book that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure people understand about the importance of becoming a learn it all leader or supporting your people in becoming learn it all leaders. I think one thing that in my book we didn't talk about that I think people have enjoyed is I talk a little bit about the trust tax and mm-hmm. as a leader. And what I mean by that is that when you bring people on, it's kind of like you give them the opportunity to grow and evolve. And you know, sometimes people, you know, let you down. You know, and maybe they, they leave or or they take whatever the situation is. And people have always been to me like, how, how do you, you know, you, that doesn't upset you and you just keep moving on. And my approach to that, Andy, as a leader is, you know, you want to um, it's it's much better to spend your effort on on being positive and focusing on. And every once in a while, you know, things won't go the way you want them to go with particular employees or team members. But it's OK. You know, I, I think it's much better to focus on on the positive with your team and more likely than not, they'll surprise you and not surprise you, but they'll, they'll do a great job and and they'll be part of your, in our case, our learn learn it community or alumni forever. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you want to keep that, build that relationship that will last as forever, even if they're not there anymore, like you said, because they refer people, whatever it may be. There's there's so many long-term ramifications from those relationships. You never know why it might come down the line. So that trust, empowering, enabling people, you know, building those teams where, where people feel engaged and they feel like they they can grow. And that learning and development culture we talked about, Damon, this has been really great. I, I, like I said, I've already been enjoying the book. I think there's a lot of great stories and nuggets in there that people can take away, can learn from. I know the book's going to be available on your website, on Amazon. People want to get in touch with you or talk more about the things that Learning provides. What's the best place for them to go? Well, you can go to our website, learnit.com. Or you could find me on LinkedIn, Damon Levy on LinkedIn. And yeah, sure. My book's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the all the regular, regular yeah, places. It's it's out there. We'll put a link in the there. show notes. Uh, learnit.com. We'll put a link in the show notes to the book. And I know you guys have a, a really a popular YouTube channel with a lot of great content on there as well that people can find. So thanks again for being here, Damon. I, I really enjoyed it and look forward to talking with you more soon. Thanks. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, Andy. All right, that will do it for my conversation with Damon Limby, who is the CEO of Learn It, as well as the author of the new book, The Learn It All Leader Mindset, Traits, and Tools, which you can find 
on their website or on Amazon. Their website, if you want to find out more about Damon and especially about the company Learn It and all of their learning offerings is learnit.com, L-E-A-R-N-I-T.com. This podcast is also sponsored by the Talent Development Think Tank community. I know many of you have been listening to this podcast for a long time now, and you've heard me talk about the community. You've thought about joining. Maybe you thought that you didn't quite have the bandwidth or you weren't sure if you'd be able to contribute effectively. And I can assure you that if you come join us and you can come in, we do offer calls every week, but if you can make one or two a month, you're going to get a lot of value. And I know that you probably have more than you realize to contribute as well. The mission of the community is all about helping and empowering talent development professionals to up their game and improve capabilities, become more effective in their role and more successful in their careers. You can find out more information about our community at talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. And when you join, you can use the code podcast for 10% off the price. So find out more information at talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. And also, if you are looking to implement any learning programs inside your organization, especially virtual learning programs, I would encourage you to check out LearnIt at LearnIt.com. All right, thank you again for listening. And stay tuned because our next episode will be my bonus Q&A with Damon Limby, who shares some great insights, a great story, and another great book recommendation as well. 